the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you know what? When you were a baby, just trying to think, ah, Nathan, Nathan, he's over there, he's probably the youngest in the room. Nathan, at this present stage of his life, is being taught how to eat. You don't just put a, a nice roast, no, no, you won't do that anyway. Um, you, you won't put whatever it is that you would put in front of Nathan and say, get on with it. A baby needs to be taught how to eat or else what you have is a 14-year-old going like that with a spoon throwing food at you when they're old enough to know better. So what we want to do is say, you know, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were already praying, but they weren't praying like he was. They weren't seeing the results like he saw, and therefore they wanted to understand the secrets or the understanding of what real prayer looks like and feels like. So they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And that is what we're doing. There are three, if you like, areas of prayer that we as the church can pray. There's the collective area of prayer, which we're going to do tonight. We're going to come and collectively pray and seek God and intercede in situations and pray for our nation, pray for the sick, whatever it will be. We are coming together as a gathering to pray. Just like when Peter was imprisoned and the church, the Bible says the church gathered together and prayed earnestly. They, didn't, they just didn't sort of sit there and mime read what each other were praying. There was, a, there was something loud in the gathering. There was some, they prayed earnestly. They prayed with a desire to see Peter freed from the prison. You know, it's, it, it wasn't a token prayer time. It was powerful. Something was being released. It was so powerful that the prison doors opened and Peter, led out by an angel, you know, we released the ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. When we pray, angels go to work. I don't know if you believe in angels. I certainly believe in angels because they are, but the Bible says they are ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. So they move when we release the word of God. They move in situations. That's why the angel turned up for Peter, because the church prayed, because Peter was praying. The angel of the Lord turned up, released him out of the prison. Their shock, those who were gathered, was it happened so quick. All of a sudden, Peter's knocking at the door. Rhoda goes down. Oh, it's you, Peter. Close the door. Don't let him in. Goes running back up and says, oh, it's Peter. He's been released. Don't be so silly. He's in prison. It's amazing how we can be moved by circumstances greater than we are moved by our own prayers. When we pray, when we pray, we should believe that we will see the answer. When you pray is when God answers. It's not when you see the answer that God answers. When you pray, God hears and he moves, and he answers. It's sometime down the line, or an, a, a, a manifestation of a miracle there and then, we see it. Or in time, we see it. Because everything is in God's time. 
We want to see things in our time, but we've got to be aware it's in God's time. So collective prayer, we're going to be collectively gathering tonight. We collectively gather at quarter to 10 to 10 o'clock and pray. Pray over the meeting, pray over the, those who are coming into the meeting, pray over our kids' work. Um, even pray for me so that when I preach, I don't get too distracted. But then there is lifestyle prayer. And lifestyle prayer is praying without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you go into a monastery, you hide yourself away, and no one ever sees you again. You know, you know, many of you know what lifestyle prayer is. You're walking down the road and you see someone, the Lord touches your heart and you start praying for them. You don't necessarily go over to them and say, excuse me, I just need to pray for you. It's lifestyle prayer. You may feel that, but actually it's just walking down the road. You hear an ambulance goes past and you pray, Lord, protect them as they journey. Protect the person. Keep, keep them alive until the ambulance gets there. Do a miracle in between this time. You, know, you may see someone who's sitting on a park bench and they seem lost or distant and you're, you're just going through your day praying. You're communicating. You're communing with God in prayer. It's, 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 it's not gathering together. It's lifestyle. I'm praying without ceasing. Now, that is how we're meant to live our lives. I'm not going to ask for anybody that actually lives their life like that, but I do know that there are those in the house who do, and that's how their life is, and they're just constantly praying over situations. That is what we're all meant to be doing. It's not just for some. It's not intercession. That is lifestyle prayer. And that's a part of our life. And then there is devotional prayer or closet prayer. And it's the closet prayer praying that I really want to share with you this morning. Because there is something personal and intimate about personal prayer, and time in the closet with Jesus. And that is probably one of the areas that many in the room, including myself at times, we struggle with or we forget or we bypass it in our life. So we're going to look at this thought about developing a personal prayer life. I'd like to suggest to you there are two things that motivate us to prayer. Need and desire. But the problem is need overrides desire. If you had a desire to be with God in prayer, you would do it every day. But the problem is most of us are moved by need. So when a need comes up, we're in that closet praying, and then we forget about it. And then a situation comes up, or someone asks you to pray, and then we find ourselves in that place again. And we're moved by need more than we're moved by desire. And I really want to help this morning to see if we can reverse that in our own lives. So there is a desire to be in his presence, to pray, rather than motivated by the needs of life and circumstances around us. Let's read this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 6 should be on our big screen, or if you have your Bible. I want to hear pages. Ah, there we go, there are pages. What happens, if, what happens if the government turn off... They can't turn off pages, can they? Hey, they can't turn off this thing. So they may do one day on the big screens, and we'll say, oh, what? where's my Bible? 
Anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, but you, are you a you? When you pray, there's an expectation. You, when you pray. Now, don't get condemned, right? Let's, let's pause here for a moment. You can start thinking, well, I'm more of a praiser than I am a prayer. That doesn't matter. He still wants to hear you in prayer. I'm more, I, am, I am a praiser, I'm a worshipper, but he still wants to hear me pray. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. Some translations say closet or the inner room or the secret place. All of those things is where it means. And when you've shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. See, there's a promise. He is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, some people say, oh, you know, Christians are always after the reward. Well, if, you're, if you don't want a reward, I'll have yours. <laughs> but clearly here it says, when you go into your secret place and you pray in secret, your father sees in secret but will reward you openly. There are rewards to those who intercede. There are those who go into their closet and close the door and spend time with the Lord, just you and him. There are rewards that will come because you do it. I believe it's an, incredible, it's an incredibly powerful scripture, but it's a great invitation. I, I look at Moses and those moments when Moses saw God face to face. And I'm sure most of you, if you've read it or you've seen it, the movie, and you see these interactions with Moses and you, and you say, oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing to have that sort of interaction with God? So that even when you walk away and you, you come down off the mountain, your face is still shining with the Shekinah glory of God. But you know what? Here, it says you can meet with God. He is already in the secret place, waiting for you. Now, where is your secret place? Now, depending on the size of your family, um, Jane's secret place when all our kids were at home was the bathroom. It was the only safe place, secret place, hiding place, getaway place, with eight of us in the house. When your kids grow up, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's just the two of us in the house. Uh, my secret place is my office at the end of the garden, and Jane's secret place, seemingly right now, is the whole house. <laughs> I will walk in, and I'll, I'll think, who's she talking to? Oh, no, okay, I'll best go back out. <laughs> the Lord is here. <laughs> and, and I think, what a beautiful... I, I, I'm often amazed. I'm often challenged. And I'm often celebrating the journey that I see my wife have in the secret place. Now, your secret place may be... I, I was reading something the other day. Um, oh, that's, a, that's a light bulb moment. Did you hear that? <laughs> did, you, did anybody else hear that? that was, it wasn't angelic. It was a light bulb moment. <laughs> Who was it? I, I can't remember. But it was somebody who is known as an incredible prior in times gone by. And what they used to do is, I can't remember who it was. Might have even been, actually, might have been the Pharisees. I can't remember. Anyway, what they would do is pull up their, their robe and cover their head. And as they covered their head, 
you would know that they were in their secret place. Was it John Wesley, Charles Wesley's mum? Lots and lots of kids, loads, 10 of them or whatever it was. She could never find a, 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 a quiet place in the house. So she would lift up her apron over her head. And whenever the apron was over her head, everybody in the family knew she was in a secret place. We can all find a secret place. Yours may be the bathroom. It may be, it may be as you're getting ready for work in the morning and you're sat there um, looking in the mirror, getting yourself ready. It may be your secret place is the car driving to work. But we all need one. You can't look around the room and say, well, it's... They're clearly a prayer. Emma's clearly a prayer. Wilberforce is clearly a prayer. We'll let them be the, the, the closet room people. No. You're, you have a closet, don't you? You may be smaller than your wife's, but we all have a closet <laughs> where we hang clothes. Is that, it's true, isn't it? We do. We, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We all have a closet, but it's not the closet we're meant to climb into. It's a place. All right? So please don't start clearing out all your wives' clothes and saying, <laughs> I'm taking this over. It's, it's not that. Anyway, Jesus said, go into your room. The word room in the Greek is tameon. It's a Greek word, tameon. Tameon was first depicted as a secret place where you would hide your most valuable possessions. We're talking Old Testament. It's where... It, you, you would find tempt, this tameon, you would find a secret place and hide the family jewels or the, the, the hand-me-downs from generation to generation. You would hide it there for safekeeping. Then um, this word developed over time and it became known or described as this uh, secure place a place where you would put your money or your treasures, as in a strong room or a safe, somewhere that was protected from those that would want to come and take it. But the word tameon developed again over time to describe a secure or a secret place where a couple, it would become known as the personal chamber, that place where as a couple, only you as a couple would go just being delicate for any children in the room, where you would be intimate together, where you would, nobody else was invited in. And that was Tameon. It was a place of intimacy and personal relationship. And Jesus is saying, when you go into your room for personal, one-to-one -one relationship with God, that's how close he wants you in this relationship. It's how he wants you to spend time with him so that we are one with him, that we yada as an old Hebrew word where it's talking about that oneness between a husband and a wife, the yada. Adam knew his wife Eve. He yarded him. He knew her and they had a child. That is where God wants you to have personal intimacy with him so that you can pour out your heart without anybody else hearing. That you can express your fears 
without anyone else judging you so that you can be real in his presence. Because there is only one in this world that we can be totally real with, and that is God. But fear, guilt, and condemnation, and unforgiveness are the four things that keep you from wanting or desiring that intimacy, because God will pinpoint, highlight, and ask you to deal with those areas because they are blockages in this relationship. So the prayer closet is a place of personal intimacy. It's also a place of spiritual stronghold. Your stronghold. You see in the Bible many times, David would retreat to his stronghold. There are other times you talk, when you hear about strongholds, those strongholds are negative. You know, when the enemy has a foothold or a stronghold in your life. But when David would need to hear the strategy of God for the next battle or war, he would go to his stronghold, he would seek God, and he would hear what the next plan would be. In your secret place, not only is it a place of intimacy and personal relationship with God, but it is where you hear strategy, it's where you hear the leading, the guiding, and the direction of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you know what? Before Jesus... Um, appointed or called any of his disciples to come follow me. He spent time in the mountains or in the wilderness praying, and then he went from there, and he went along the shores of Galilee and says, hey, you come follow me. Why? How did he have such a confidence? Because he had spent time in prayer. He knew who he was going to call before they knew he was calling them. That's the power and the secret place where we can walk with God in that kind of way. But it's also a place where we wage warfare. It's a place of intercession, interceding on behalf of situations that you're aware of. It's those moments we come to God and we lay it before him and say, Father, have your way in this situation. And we intercede. We stand in the gap between heaven and earth. And we, we stand in the gap between earth and an individual. And we say, God, move in this person's life. The chances are there are many people, and you may know it. If you do, I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand. But there are maybe many people in this room you know of the person that was praying for you before you ever got saved. If you know that person, that somebody was praying for you, pop up your hand nice and high and wire. There was someone interceding for you before you knew him. The chances are everybody else in the room there is someone praying for you and you don't even know who they are. Because when you pray in tongues, you're praying the hidden wisdom of God. You're interceding on things that you knew nothing about. And God is moving through your prayers to touch the, prayer, to, to touch the lives of people anywhere around the world. Because God's not limited. You know, when we pray, it's not just for gospel, is it? It's, it's, you know, we can be interceding in a particular moment. Tonight, when we're gathering, we can be interceding for a particular situation. And around the world, someone's life is being challenged or taken or supported or helped. Or, you know, very often, one of the things that we pray last thing at night is, Lord, if there's anybody in a position in their life where they could end it tonight, Lord, intervene. Change the direction of their life. Do something to step into their life before something tragic happens. What an incredible prayer. I'd encourage you all to pray that prayer because I may forget one night, but you cover my moment. Anyway, I'd like to show you what intercessory prayer can look like. We're going to play 
just a short clip from what I think is a really good movie. Nice and loud. Louder, louder. Louder, louder. You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again. You are good and you are mighty and you are merciful. And you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world. That will not compromise when under pressure. That will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. <laughs> oh, dear, isn't that good? I love that movie. War Room, if anyone wants to go and watch it, um, or get the DVD, go and get it. We could even watch it here. Again. <laughs> I don't know how long that clip was, maybe three minutes. Can you imagine? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Two. All of us doing three minutes in the morning. Three minutes. Get up at three minutes earlier, Please. And start the day like that. Start a day where you're just declaring and proclaiming and you're just exalting God at the beginning of your day saying, God, would you raise up people today? Three minutes. Your three minutes could turn a nation, 
Your three minutes could change a community. Your three minutes could see revival in this house. Because this isn't just about us. It's about all of gospel. It's about all of our communities. It's about our young people. It's about our kids. You know, this week, I don't know who, who reads. I don't know if you read my, 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 my uh, update email that goes out on a Thursday. What are we meant to be praying for? What am I encouraging us to pray for this week? Our, our teens and our youth. If there was ever a generation that needed our prayers, right now, it's our teenagers and youth. What they face in schools and what they face in communities and what they face in peer pressure, they need our prayers. And next generation, our kids. Oh, many of us have seen the generations of God pass through us, but we need our children to see the light of God in this generation, not the wickedness of our world. We've got to be a people that rise up and say, there were people that, I, I tell you what, you can go back to the old, te- old, old, not the Old Testament, but the old Pentecostals. They knew how to pray. The old Pentecostals, they used to get on their knees and intercede. And we, we who are middle-aged are the product of what they prayed. But if we are not praying for our kids like they pray for us, what is going to happen to our kids? Closet press. Oh, you can, you can go in there, husband and wife. I'm sure you can. I don't think the Lord's going to say one at a time. If two agree concerning anything, it shall be done. If you can go in the closet and you, can feel, and you feel free to pray about anything and everything, and you can be intimate before God and each other, then go together. But if you haven't got that luxury or if you've got an unsafe husband or an unsafe wife, get in that prayer closet and be on your knees for them. Because you are the one who stands in the gap for their salvation, for their journey, for their eternity, for their future. There are so many people that I'm in contact with and spoken with that the the length of eternity seems to be forgotten. It seems that they're only concerned about life here, but there is all eternity. And what we do in life, it sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Echoes in eternity. But what you pray and how you pray and how earnest you pray will have an effect on your loved one and the journey of their life. And if they go to a lost eternity, it's a lost for eternity. I speak to so many people over these last months and years who seem to think that death is just a doorway to life. Yes, it is. But it's either a doorway to life with God or a doorway to life without God. There is no option three. And we need to pray earnestly, just as Elijah did. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain upon the earth for three years. And then he prayed earnestly again, and the rains came. If he can change the weather climate, climate, how much more can we do in prayer? Like I say, I wanted to stir you up. I'm stirring me up. Hopefully I'm stirring you up. If your prayer life hasn't been what it should be, Lord, be real. That's not getting a photograph. I'm looking at the young people suddenly getting their cameras out. No, no, let's not be real like that. Let's be real before God. Let's be honest before him and say, God, I've failed you. I've been miserable at praying. But things can change now. Now is the time. 
Now is the moment for a generation to rise up and to see things change in prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the prayer room is the boiler room for the church's spiritual life. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? The prayer room, your prayer room, our prayer room, is the boiler room for the church's spiritual life. If, we, see, if you want to be a spiritual person and you've got no prayer life, I'm sorry. You know, it's just like if, you've got, if you don't read the Word and you think you're spiritual, I'm sorry. But unless you're reading the Word, and unless you're a prayer, and unless you're a worship, you're not spiritual. You're just going through the, you're going through the, the routine. You're, you're, you're a Pharisee, I'm sorry. Whew. Now I'm saying how it really is. You're, you're being a Pharisee. You're saying one thing but behaving in another. If you want to be spiritual, then the, the, the things of the Spirit need to be, the Word of God needs to be going into your heart. You need to be communing with God in the Spirit and in prayer. You need to be fellowshipping with Him through His Word and through time in prayer and in worship. You can't just say, oh, I'm spiritual like it's a badge. I belong to a church, therefore I'm spiritual. That is not how it works. The prayer room is the boiler room for the church's spiritual life. Let me just read through four scriptures about Jesus. Jesus is our example, yeah? It's all gone very quiet in the room. Let me go back to Jesus. <clears throat> Luke 4, 42 says this. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a, into a desert place. And the crowd, where did he go? A deserted or a desert place. Deserted place. He went and secluded himself. But the crowd, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Luke 5, 16. So he himself withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He found a quiet place, a secret place to be with God. Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Matthew 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was there alone. Over and over, Four scriptures, but it, what, a couple of them saying, as he often did, when he chose to do, he would often go and pray. I, I want to encourage us as a church to have a closet prayer life. One of the closet prayer life prayers that Jesus prayed, he gave us insight into. The rest of the praying when he was on the mountain or the wilderness, we don't know. I do know that. That's why, there we go. That's why at the beginning of the day, as he was preparing himself, miracles broke out wherever he went. Because he was prepared. That's why he knew where to go, because he had the wisdom of God to know where to go and whose life to touch. That's why when he came to the, um, uh, the waters pool of Bethsaida, and he went in there, and they were all sick. They were all in trouble. And he went up to one man and said, get in the pool. But I can't get in the pool because no one there to help me. 
Jesus said, take out your bed. Be healed. He knew who to go to. He knew. Why? Because he prepared to spend time with God. But here, we are let into one of these places, one of these secret moment prayer times of Jesus. And I want you to hear this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went a little further and he prayed. What was his prayer? Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The best closet prayer prayer that you and I can pray about your day to come is, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. Not, oh, I've got to be here and I want to do that and I've got to do something else. Lord, not my will. Your will be done. And when we pray like Jesus prayed, God will lead us. He'll direct us. He will give you wisdom and insight into things that you never knew. He would reveal things. He would open up doors that no man can shut. Because we have spent time... He said he's going to reward you. True? Second thing I would do in my closet, like closet lifetime is dedicate myself to his purpose. Number two, I would be authentic. God doesn't want you to stand there like a Pharisee saying all these wonderful things. He knows you. He knows our failings. He knows what we say when we shouldn't. He knows what we do when we shouldn't. He knows what we could do when we don't. He knows all that. Let's not walk into his presence in pretense. Let's be real, authentic. Don't copy somebody else's prayer life, Miss Kara, Kara or whatever her name is. Her prayer life is great. Yeah, wonderful. But you know what? You may want to start with three minutes. Somebody else may be here doing 30 minutes. Somebody else may be doing three hours. If we all turn around and said, right, from, from tomorrow onwards, we're going to do three hours of prayer as a church. I may not be there. Like, I've got things to do. I've got people to see. I've got things I've got to do. Come on, let's start. Let's be real. Let's start somewhere. The key is starting somewhere and progressing. So be real, be authentic, and start somewhere. Jesus said, quieten your soul. In other words, he said, when you shut the door, Pray to your Father who is in secret. There's got to come a moment in our life where we shut the door. Shut the door in the bathroom if that's going to be your quiet place. Shut the door in the bedroom if that's going to be your quiet place. For me, shut the door in my office. Shut the door as you're driving off to work. But you've got to find that place and shut the door. Shutting the door doesn't mean that you're praying while the radio's going. It doesn't mean that you're praying while you're watching catch up with the football that happened at the weekend. It doesn't mean that you're, what, you're scrolling through Facebook and I'm just looking for a prayer list, Lord. No, you're just catching up on the who's who and done what over the weekend. It's leave, shut the door, shut things that are distractions out so you can just spend time with him. When you shut the door, take time to worship in spirit and in truth. Have your Bible open in front of you and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you into scriptures that he may want to show you. Have a journal handy. If you're a journaler, have a journal handy. Pen, paper, whatever. 
posture, posturing yourself in his presence. Being open-hearted, waiting on the Lord. Just a few key things that I believe are helpful in my life that I believe would also be helpful in your life. But the key is this. God is waiting to hear from you. Not from the person next to you. God is waiting to hear from you. I want to play one last clip and then I'm going to just round it off, finish. I know we're late, but it's worth it. I don't know where you are, devil. But I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my daughter. And you sure can't have my man. This house is under new management. And that means you are out. And another thing, I am so sick of you stealing my joy, but that's changing too. My joy doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my job. It doesn't even come from my husband. My joy is found in Jesus. And just in case you forgot, he has already defeated you. So go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone. So come on. Who's going to stand up in their household? Who's going to stand up for their wife, for their husband? Nobody? Who's going to stand up and find their secret place? Who's going to stand up and say, yes, this is the end of the line. I'm going to change. I'm going to see something happen. Oh, you don't have to stand up for me because God knows your heart. So please don't stand up because I've said, hey, who's going to... God knows your heart. But he is looking for a church and a generation that will stand in the gap. Who will fight when they see things that they will stand when they don't. But they're going to stand in the presence of God and they're going to battle and they're going to stand and they're going to believe and they're going to see change. They're going to look at their kids and they're going to say, no, the devil's not going to have them. He's not going to have victory over their life. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, God will revive God will bring through. To Father in this place here this morning, I thank you for every heart that is connected, 
every heart that's heard you this morning in their life, Lord, as you stir faith, as you stir prayer in your house, as you stir us to focus on you and allow you to move in our lives afresh. Lord, may this not be a decision made on a Sunday morning, but may it be a decision that we see tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning because, Lord God, you said that my house will be a house of prayer. We, as your leaders of your house, are determined that we will work your promises out and that we will be a house of prayer, a people of prayer, an individual of prayer, collectively as prayers together. Father, move afresh on each one of our hearts. Stir us, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo.